Let's pray. Oh Lord, our Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you again for today. Thank you because, thank you for this program. Thank you for every prayer that you've answered. Thank you for everything that you have done. Be thou exalted in the name of Jesus. Father, this evening I ask, Lord, help me. Help me to pass your message as I should in the name of Jesus. Father, help your children to receive your message as they should in the name of Jesus. But Lord God, we're not here to waste our time. And Lord, our time here with you, Father, is precious. And Father, we would leave here with that understanding in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for it's in Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. Amen. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to uh, Why Jesus. This is the third edition. And uh, today is very, is somewhat unique in that I'm the one standing before you to take the message. Generally speaking, over the last two years, it has always been Pastor Billy's remit. And when I was told that I was going to be the one to take this message, I was like, oh, okay. So I said, God, well, if I'm the one taking this message, then that means one thing. It means that you are the one that said I should do this. So all well and good. So Lord, as you as you are the one that sends me a message, come and help my condition, Lord. What do I teach the children? And as God has always done in these situations for me, he obliged, as always, and I'm grateful for that. And if you remember the theme of this particular year, it's called Beyond Pardon. So the topic of why Jesus has this program in general for the last three years that we've been doing it has always been evangelistic in nature. The idea is to teach people about Jesus, the salvation story, the gospel message, and it's always been evangelistic in nature. And we're asking a thought-provoking question, essentially. We're saying, why Jesus? Because, you know, why? Why not, you know, why not Beelzebub? Why not, uh, I don't know, which other goddess name? Why not Paimon? Why not some other interesting god or goddess or whatever of those things exist? Why Jesus? What's the, what's, the, what's the purpose? Why do we need him? Why is he the savior? Why is there something we're even missing that we need Jesus Christ in the first place? And it's an evangelistic message, yes, but even for believers, it's also necessary for us to remember where we are coming from and what's going on. And this is my prayer that the Lord would help us today, even as we look into this topic in the name of Jesus. So our text today, let's turn to the book of Luke chapter 15, and we're going to be reading from verse 11 to verse 24. Luke chapter 15, from verse 11 to verse 24. So we're going to read. Um, you know what? Can someone please read for us? Yes. Um, Luke chapter 15, from verse 11 to verse 24. And he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. 
And not many days, days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. And I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this, my son, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Amen. Amen. So, I, who has not read that story before? Let's see. Okay. So, we're all familiar with the story. This is a story that a lot of people would call the prodigal son. Everyone calls it the prodigal son, although for the purposes of this teaching, I rather prefer the, what they call it in the Bible sometimes, which is the lost son. Rather prefer that, and that's what we're going to talk about. So, we know the story of the lost son. He rebelled against his father, he took his money, he squandered it, he said to beg, beg, said near to survive, and then said, oh, let's go to go home, and then he went home, and his father, you know, hugged him, and everything was fine and okay, right? So, we would say that's it, you know, that's, that's where it is. But this story is so rich in what it has to teach us because it shows us the mighty work of Jesus in our life and what he has done for us and what we ourselves, the great debt, the unpayable debt that we owe to him. So let's look at the story step by step. Let's start from the very beginning. Story begins with the rebellion, as many of these stories do. Um, human beings, we think we are so wise. We think we are so smart. We have it all figured out. We rail against God. We say, oh, you know, if only I had the power, you know, everything would be okay. And I've noticed, it's a trope I've noticed in fiction quite a bit, if, ep epic fiction, if you've read a lot of it, you would, you'd find that it's a very common trend, there's an established power, and there's someone that wants to rebel and break against it. Now, I'm not saying that all of those novels are bad or anything, I'm just saying that it's a common trope that I just find rather interesting. It continues to talk about this idea of rebellion. Rebel. Rebel against the established order. Don't take what it is that is going on, you know, whether it's, in quotes, good or bad, whatever the case may be. This established order must somehow be evil. We're breaking away from it. And it's a common trope. And we see it so often because 
human beings, we do it even against God. We do it against God. So, this boy wanted his inheritance, yes? Wanted to collect his inheritance. Said, okay, oh, father, give me my inheritance. You know, it go be. You be on your end. I would go and do my thing. I will go and do my thing. Now, first thing that we notice is this idea of impatience. The son, not wanting to wait for anything, said he wanted his inheritance now. Give me my inheritance now. Give it to me. I want it now. Give it to me now. I want it now. I want it now. And it speaks to this idea of instant gratification that we have in our lives today, like generally that people have. People have this idea of instant gratification. They want everything now, 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 now. You know, it's why spoilers are a thing. If, if you like spoilers, I'm suspicious of you. But this idea of, oh, I want this thing now. I want it now. I want it now. And something very interesting is the problems this leads us to. Because if you really think about it, a lot of vices have a veneer of impatience to them. You know? So sex is locked behind the sanctity of marriage. And you're like, ah, I want to enjoy it now. So, you know, off to go and find a willing participant. Or you're like, ah, this thing, this money, I want to make it now. So off to an old man in a deserted bush somewhere to get a tortoise that you used to do your Yahoo Plus. Or, you know, some, some other thing, even murder. Because you're like, ah, this person, he, 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 he did something to me, he hurt me, he did it in one way or the other. Ah, I can't wait for the justice system. Or I can't wait for divine retribution. I'll do it myself. And so you go ahead and you carry out this murder. Impatience. Such a great vice that sometimes we don't even pay attention to. And it was here working in this boy. And so he grabbed all his wealth, or he grabbed all the inheritance, and then he went. But we must understand this rebellion for what it is. It was a rejection of his father. A rejection of his father's ideas, a rejection of whatever his father stood for, a rejection of his father's wisdom as to how assets were to be spent. That was what he was rejecting. He was rejecting it. He rejected it by saying, that, give me mine now, because I know better. I know better than you. Give it to me now. Let me use it as I please. Now, at this point, the boy then rebelled and then he left. There are a couple of things that we can start to piece together, even from here, even from the entirety of the story that we've read. One of them is that it is clear that the father is wealthy. The other thing that is very clear is that the children were not in need. They're not in want or anything. That much is clear. It wasn't as if the boy was struggling for one thing or the other. No, we had. And we can understand all of that. However, this son still wanted his own cut. He wanted his own thing, and he wanted to go and use it as he wanted to use it, as he pleased. And so he went away. But here comes another thing that I find very interesting. If we look at, uh, if we look at verse 13, verse 13 says, And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. Question. 
Why did the boy not squander his wealth in his father's country? You ever consider that for a second? Like, okay, he took this wealth. Why didn't you use it where? Like, why didn't you use it in the same locale? Why did he have to go somewhere else? You know, I, I read this and it, and it hit me. And I was like, wait, wait a second. Why did he go anywhere? Like, if, if a boy takes inheritance from his father and everything, I mean, there are many clubs in Lagos you can go and spend it in. There are many people, there are many amusement parks, there are many ice cream parlors, there are many places he could go to to have the fun that he wants to have. But he said he left. He went to a faraway country. He left where his father was. So you, you have to start asking yourself the question, okay, why? <laughs> why did he have to go somewhere else? Like, what was going on? Was, it, was his father going to send assassins after him? Or was his father going to, I don't know, go and drag him from where he is, you know? It can be very embarrassing. You just bought a bottle of Dom Perignon. You're sitting down at a table with all the girls. You're having fun. And your father badges into the club and then drags you here and says, we are going home. We are going home. Come here. Follow me. That would be embarrassing. But somehow I doubt that that was the case here. He went somewhere else. So that leaves us with only one logical conclusion. And that is that whatever it is he wanted to squander his money on was not in his father's land was unavailable. It was somewhere else. It wasn't there. Because if it was there, he wouldn't have needed to rebel in the first place. Because at no point did it tell us that the father held him in bondage, or the father was holding him, and the father was saying, that, oh, you can't go anywhere. No, it doesn't tell us that. So that means whatever he wanted to squander his money on was not in his father's land. He had to go somewhere else to get it. And then that tells us a couple of other things. Starts to tell us that, okay, if it doesn't exist in his father's land, then his father's land must be a very interesting place. Where he was living already had to be a very interesting place that, you know, the things that he wanted to enjoy himself or gorge himself on were not available and that he needed to go somewhere else. Another thing we pick up immediately is the fact that whatever it is he wanted to spend his money on or whatever he wanted to waste his money on was something that would be reprehensible to the father. Right? Can we, we can draw that conclusion, yes. And so, he goes to another land. And when you think about it, think about the parallels in which we have with our lives today. So many people taking the gifts of God, but they don't spend it in his house. They never do it. They go elsewhere. Why? Because... Enemy territory, that's where they can enjoy what they want. It's in the world that they can enjoy these things. In the kingdom of God, there's just kingdom of God stuff. And maybe that's where we get this, or where people get this idea that heaven is going to be boring. Like, oh, this land of the king, it's all just goody two shoeness. Like, it has to be boring. So if I want to jay, I have to jay in elsewhere. Let's go elsewhere. That's a go elsewhere. And that's interesting. As human beings, a life without Christ is like this boy. Because we all have an inheritance from God. We all have a grace from God. Everyone. We find those in the, in the world today. All the talented rappers, singers, pianists. Where do you think their gifts came from? It didn't come. 
God is the giver of all good gifts. That's what the Bible tells us. A couple of days ago, uh, they showed me a video of a man who was in a fire. And apparently, he was in fire, he got burnt, his face, arms, everything. And he said people were not talking to him, no one wanted to. But that while he was in the hospital, that God just gave him this tremendous gift. And apparently, this man can play the saxophone with his mouth. Like he just presses it together and goes, and it sounds exactly like a saxophone. I heard it all like, no way. All these gifts, they come from God. But then, we take it, and we take it elsewhere, and we go and squander it. Remember the inheritance came from the Father. The money that was being used came from the Father. It didn't come from someone else. It wasn't, it wasn't a nice uncle that came to drop it. It was his Father that gave it to him, that, had, that gave him the access to have that. So when we take these things from the kingdom of God, and then we take it to the kingdom of the enemy, and then we go and squander it, we continue the story. It tells us that verse 14 says that, and when he had spent it all, there arose a mighty farming in that land, and he began to be in want. This points us to something else, which is that if we leave, when we are without God, whatever it is that we think we have, to finish. To finish. Because God is the giver of all. He owns all. Without him, whatever it is that you think you're holding will finish. You might have it, but it will always finish. Another thing of note is the famine. I said the famine came to that land. They say the famine was all over the world. It did not say the famine was in his father's land either. The famine was in that land. Which again, tells us something. That's in the kingdom of darkness, that's all it is. There would always be a, there would always be a time, I mean, the world we live in, that's the world we live in. There's a time of prosperity, and then there's a depression, and then there's a prosperity, and then there's depression, there's a, and up and down, and up and down, and up and down. That's the way of the world. And sometimes, we get used to it. We get used to this, and now so life be. Turn by turn, up and down. That's where they happen. Not realizing that we have a perpetual inheritance with the Father. That doesn't run dry. Now, this does not mean that we always have money in our pockets. But is that we we'll always be provided for. And so, that verse says that, and he began to be in want. I like... Uh, <laughs> The CSB said that he had, the CSB version says that he had nothing. And I quite like the NLT version. I don't always use the NLT, but sometimes I like when he says some things. So when he began to starve, I love how he said it. Like, when he began to starve, I said, aha, love it. See, about, his, about, the, about the time his money ran out, a great family swept over and he began to starve. Like that word, he began to starve began to starve. And you might think to yourself, you might say, ah, okay. And it was that, eh, it's not all the time, like, food. food. Mm -mm. So this starvation is always food. When, when you think starvation, sometimes you just think to say, eh, food, food. Eh? No. Starvation was so many things. Because as human beings, we need so many things. 
I watched a video last, sometime last week and I was talking about this phenomenon called touch starvation, which I found so fascinating. I was like, hey. And the lady that I was talking about it was, she was broken, she was in tears. She was like, she, she doesn't get any hugs. No one hugs her, no one, and everything. Not like she was ugly or anything, no, just, no one hugs her, no one touches her. And it wasn't an intimacy thing, no. It was like, I just want to be hugged. And have someone have warmness or warmth towards me. Because as human beings, we need these things. All of you are frowning. It's not your fault now. It's not your fault. It's not the Mr. Quest's fault now. It's not because every time we see him, we say, hi, Mr. Quest, how Shake it, shake, shake his hand. We slap him on the shoulder. We touch him and everything. Because that's the society we have in Nigeria now. When you're abroad, that's if you touch someone like this, HR streets. And before you know what's going on, you're on the streets. Ha! Uh, you won't touch anybody. Touch K. Ah. If I was living abroad, I would probably be wearing gloves everywhere. Like, let me not make a mistake. If I, if I touch you, like, ah, no, sorry, it's by mistake. I wasn't, I'm not trying to touch anybody. You know? Um, I, think it's, uh, I think it's in Finland. In Finland, the bus lines are interesting in that I think there's always a one meter or something length between each person. So if you're lining up for the bus, one person stands here, the next person stands here. And it's not the... They forced them or they told them that just that's how they are. Just everyone being in their own corner. I was like, but ah, trying to. But the point I'm trying to make is that we all have needs. Spiritual needs, mental needs, um, physical needs, all of those things. We have them for both the believer and the non-believer. And when we're without God, we will starve. Because ultimately, everyone wants to fill that hole. We're all, like, everyone starves. And that's why some people would decide to become Buddhists. Some people decide to become Taoists. Some people decide to become... Because everyone is trying to fill that hunger. We all have it. In one way or the other. And this boy also had it. Starving. And so what happened next? Because what happened next was quite interesting. The Bible tells us that in verse 15, it says, And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. So, the boy joined himself to, let's take note, citizen of that country. So, he joined himself to a citizen of that country. That's very important. It's key. That he joined himself to someone who lived and breathed or whatever that land he was in. The land of squander where he wasted everything. It was that citizen of that country that he went to go and meet. And it makes you think to yourself that how many times have we looked for our hope in the world instead of in Christ Jesus? How often have we considered to ourselves that somehow... A member or a citizen of the world is the one that has a solution to our problem rather than Jesus. So often, we need, we need help and the first person we want to call is that friend, that one that has all the connections, that one that knows all the people. He's the fixer. Let's talk to him. Not the heavenly father. And so those who have not given their lives to Christ, what, what choice do they have? They go and talk to the citizen of the country. And then what comes next is interesting. It says, 
that, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. Now this, this, this is very fascinating. Let's turn to the book of Leviticus chapter 11. And we'll read verse 7. The Bible says, And the swine, though he divide the hoof and is cloven-footed, yet he cheweth not the cord, he is unclean to you. He is unclean to you. So this was God giving the Israelites amongst the, the several um, rules that they had to follow, what the ordinances, the laws. This was one of them, which was that pigs were declared unclean to them. So ask yourself, why did the citizen of the land not send him to take care of horses or dogs, or cats? Why didn't he ask him to cut it? Why didn't he ask him to, I don't know, deal with the sheep dogs or deal with sheep or anything? Why swine? Why did he send him for swine? We must realize that Jesus telling this parable was telling it to a Jewish audience. We have to think of that context that he was talking to Jews who to them would understand what it meant for someone to go out and have to work with swine. To us today that are reading this, I might just look at it and say, well, it's going to be some pigs that are dirty, dirty, whatever. But to them, it was like, no, wait. This guy is going to go and do something unclean. Pigs. Why? Because that's all there was. That's all the citizen of that country could offer. And that is all the world has to offer. Uncleanliness. Think about what it takes for a Jewish boy to be forced to go and look after swine. How that must have been. He was sent to go and deal with swine. And something I find very fascinating, something I found very fascinating, I was looking at it, I was just realizing, wait a second, at no point does the Bible tell us that this citizen of that country was wicked. At no point. It never said, and a wicked farmer of the land said, he never said, and a wicked citizen, or a nasty citizen, or a mean citizen, or he did not even say a kind citizen either. He didn't say a good citizen. He just said a citizen. Which tells you something. That even the world's best intentions will still lead to uncleanliness. That is all they have to offer. Nothing more. Nothing more. It's not uncleanliness. That's it. And so this boy goes... to go and feed the swine. Like I said, the world has nothing to offer. Bible doesn't tell us that the farmer was wicked or it was nice or it was kind. Of, mm -mm, doesn't tell us anything of that sort. Just normal. Just a farmer. And that's all he had to offer. And in the same way, the world is like that. Even with their best intentions. So if you come to them and you say, I want to open an OnlyFans account, they'll say, yeah, go do you. Oh, I want to enter into an unnatural relationship. Oh, love is love. Go ahead. You know? Oh, I want to, you know, just sacrifice myself on the altar of my ambition and my work and everything. Ah, get the bag. Go ahead. 
that's it. They just encourage you, know. Always encouraging. Always. I'm down. I'm here for you. I'm down for you. Ah, do it, do it, do it. Because that's what they have. Whether you're sullying yourself or you're admiring yourself or you're dirtying your soul, they don't care. And sometimes you can't even blame them because they don't know any better. And the Bible tells us that he began to eat. Oh, no, not he began to eat. He didn't. Glory be to God. Um, that he said to look at the food of the swine. That's verse 16. He said, and he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. So this tells us on something else too, because at this point it meant that if we spend long enough in the camp of the enemy, even the most detestable things will start to look The most reprehensible things. We talk about the topic of abortion all the time. There are some people who, not too long ago, if you had asked them about it, they'd be like, ah, no, that's a horrible thing. Why would you do something like that? And if you ask them the same today, like, yeah, well, you know, it's her body. Let, let her do what she wants. Because as time goes on, we begin to every, we sacrifice everything on the altar of progressive. I'm enlightened. I'm open-minded. I'll do it because, you know. So, destruction of the family unit, everything that we hold dear, the loss of morals, loss of everything, we start to rationalize. And people start to rationalize. And that's what starts to happen to people. And this is the truth for believers that let the world infiltrate their lives and unbelievers who have never accepted Christ, this is what happens to them. Even the most moral unbeliever will start to degrade after a while because of all that is around them and all that they're letting come in. I wanted to paint this picture and I tried my best to paint it as clearly as possible just so we understand the depths that this boy sunk into. And the riotous living that he did, we don't know what he spent his money on. And I, I don't think we need to speculate. But he helps us to understand the depths. The depths that we can plumb. And that people in the world today are plumbing. And people who do not surrender themselves to Jesus Christ, they are plumbing those depths. And it's a depth that we if we are not careful, can also plumb. It's not impossible for us if we let if we let the Father go or if we decide to step away from him and say that we know better and let's take this inheritance and let's use it. We hear of stories of people who give their lives to Christ and then start to use their talents for God. But we've also heard of the you know, opposite of people who had great talents and then they're out there doing their thing. That's them. That's them. But to God be the glory, the story does not end there. Because if it did, then we would all be having a very somber night and we'll all be reflecting and thinking about it. But glory be to God, that's not where it ended. Because the Bible tells us that 
he came to his senses. He said, and when he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my father have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger? How did he come to himself? We don't know. It, uh, we don't know. The assumption is that one day he just woke up and he borrowed himself brain, as they like to say. But we don't know, because it may not have been. We don't know. And I'm not even going to try and assume. We don't know. God in his mercy. There are many ways in which he has mercy on us. But he did come to his senses. And he said that, how many of my, how many of my father's hired hands have enough to eat? And here I am. This one guy is just bass boost. I'm suffering here. And he said, okay. You know what? I'm just going to go back to my father. And this way it gets interesting because the lost son's anticipation was to get the pardon. Go home, get the pardon from his father, and become a hired hand. Like, go home, get the pardon, become a hired hand. Okay. And for a lot of people, that's, that's where they think it ends. You know, a lot of people, when they come to Christ, especially if, they really, if they've really been out there, you know, if they really lived it, they've done some rough stuff, they just believe it to themselves. Okay, well, if I can even be forgiven, if I can just be forgiven. And even Christians who might have backslidden or fallen away, when they come back, their mind is just like, okay, God, just forgive me. <laughs> just have mercy. Just have mercy. And can't blame anybody. Because ultimately, pardon is something we understand. We get it. It's what we do. Pardon, like a simple pardon, has this idea that, oh, okay, we are overlooking what you've done, but like it's still on your record. Oh, you went to prison. Okay, now you've received a pardon. But you have come out of the prison. You've served a couple of years. Okay, we know that, okay, you did a couple of years, but you were given an official pardon, and now you're free. We understand that. It's something that we get as human beings. So, you know, that's kind of when we go, I don't forgive you, but no come house again. I forgive you. I, no, no, no. Like, you're my guy, but you know, don't come to my house again. Just be where you are. I've experienced it. When I was in, um, when I was in GS2, I had a friend. <laughs> I had a friend. His name was Maya. still remember his name. Very short guy like that. And short people, to be fair, he is quite short. And he, I remember one time like that, my, my guardian, who was the vice principal academics, called me and was like, I should come. And I came to his office and I was like, okay, what's going on? And I was standing there with the senior beside him and I was standing there and I'm like, ah, what's going on? Thankfully, I don't remember the exact details, but long and short, they said, okay, well, yeah, I'll say what you're saying. And then my opened his mouth and started to talk and spewing out the most amazing lies about me. And like, I'd never experienced this thing in my life. You know, I don't know. I don't have any of you ever been betrayed. Like, you, oh, betrayal. Okay, there's a there's this feeling watching someone speak lies. Like, yeah, look at the person. The person like, guy. Guy was like, like it was lying, like proper lies. Okay, from your small body, how? And then he was lying. And my face was hot, my body was, I was like, hey, God. And I, I said to shake. And I don't know whether it was fear or it was anger. I don't know. I can't tell you. But I just say, hey, what? But thank God, thank God, one of the seniors 
happened to find some holes in the story and also had like evidence that I was not in whatever it was that he was saying I was in. And my wife was flogged and he was well punished and everything. Ah, my wife are no friends again. No? <laughs> no, 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 no. He came to apologize several times and I said, my wife, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Just fine. It's fine. Like, dude, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. I was like, ah, several times. I think in our senior secondary school, I, I started to interact with him once or twice, but like never in that, oh, we're together. Yeah, because but in school, you're always very tight-knit if you're friends. So, but ah, no, 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 no. I learned my lesson. Just be where you are. So we understand pardon. We get it. But you see, God was looking for something else. God was giving us something else. God was giving us forgiveness, like absolute. He's blotting out our sins. Let's turn to the book of Isaiah 43, verse 25. I like this verse because mommy has quoted it a few times. I love it. <laughs> Isaiah 43, verse 25. And it says, I, even I, I'm he that blotted out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. The verse after that is one that mommy has quoted a couple of times where it says, come, let's reason together. And, um, but do you see, it says it's blotting it out. It's not the, oh, perhaps. No. And I'm always thinking about it and it makes me laugh a bit because I'm like, <laughs> So, when we get to be with Jesus, that's how you're just walking around and you see one guy, one Shinorambo guy, you know, and look at him, you look at God and you be like, God, explain. <laughs> why is he here? <laughs> like, God, explain. Why is he here? And God look at you and tell you, what are you talking about? And I be like, God, like, what are you talking about? Because that's the thing, he does not remember. God has blotted out your sins. Do you realize what that means? All your sins blotted out. That's why David was able to say, blessed is the man who the Lord forgives his sins. Because it's an amazing thing. Blotted out your sins. He does not remember it anymore. He's gone. And that's what, that's what Jesus had in store for us. And if we move further, we see this amazing story, and this story is so amazing. It goes on, and it tells us about how he went back. It says, he talked about how he said he was not worthy to be one of his, because you see, the son, like I said, was anticipating pardon, and what he was expecting was a reward that would follow pardon, which is that, okay, I've forgiven you, but we can't reinstate you to where you were before, so here become a hired hand. Fair enough. But thankfully, God is not like that. Bible tells us, continues, it says that, and he arose, and, and it says, but when he was a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. A couple of things I want to note from this verse. The first is that it says that when he saw him from afar off, a great way off, a great way off, if the father was not looking on the horizon for that, he would not have seen him a great way off. What that suggests to us is that the father was looking out, looking out the window. When is my son coming home? When is my son coming home? When is my son coming home? 
Because if the father was just kind of living his life, working on the fields, doing everything, probably wouldn't have seen the boy till he got to the gate. You see, afar off. And I could spend forever on this, but like, for the sake of time, we move on. He says that, and then, and he says he had compassion. He had compassion. Something interesting about the word compassion, especially how it's used in the Gospels. We have an example in the book of Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. And um, Someone should open Matthew 9, 36. Someone should open Luke chapter 7, verse 13. Matthew 9, 36 says, But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Okay, thank you. Luke chapter 7, verse 13. And someone should open Mark chapter 1, verse 41. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said unto her, Weep not. Okay, and Mark 1, 41. And Jesus, moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him and said unto him, I will be, I will be thou clean. Amen. Amen. So all those stories, they're different ones. The, the first one was Jesus looking at the multitude, seeing them as sheep without a shepherd. The second talked about a widow who was leaving town while Jesus was coming into town. And he saw her weeping. And he said, the Bible says that he was our only son. So we know widows were the most vulnerable of society back in the day. And he says our only son, meaning that this was probably our last hope. Because that's the only person that could earn anything to help her. And the other one that we looked at was about a man who, had, who was a leper, you know, who was unclean and came to Jesus for healing. And Jesus said, and he said, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus said, I am willing. I'll make you clean. And he touched him. He made him clean. The common thread of all of these three passages, all of them where the word compassion was used, was that it always came with the backdrop of suffering. Like, it always came with the backdrop of suffering. In all of these instances, someone was suffering intensely and deeply. And Jesus was moved to compassion. That is the reaction. That is Jesus' response to our suffering. It's compassion. The father had compassion on the son. He had compassion. Why? Because he saw that the son had suffered. He saw that the son had starved. That the son had been through it. And he had compassion. Jesus sees your suffering. He sees the suffering of everyone, including those who hate him. He sees their suffering. In fact, he sees their suffering more than they see it. Jesus is the one that understands your suffering more than you understand it. Because he's the only one that really knows the exact thing that is wrong with you. There are some things that might be wrong with us today that we, don't, we have no idea. We've had the privilege of being under the tutelage that we are here. And we've learned about deliverance. And we've, been, we've also experienced deliverance in different facets. And I think I, I, I think I share the sentiments with everyone here that there are some of the things that God revealed to you saved you from there like oh that, that was a thing 
okay? <laughs> I didn't know that. And then he continues, he says that he fell on his neck and kissed him. That term kissed is also interesting. There are several verses in which this was used um, in the book of Genesis. It was used when Esau and Jacob were reunited with one another. It was used when Joseph reunited with his brothers. Um, it was used in the book of Second Samuel when David reconciled with Absalom. And none of those situations is a, is a symbol of reconciliation that, okay, this is a relationship restored. That this relationship had come together. And then what happens next is absolutely beautiful. The Bible tells us that it says, after the son had spoken and told him that he wanted to be a hired hand, that is not worthy of being called the son. The father said to the servants, he said, bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. On his feet. So the father asked for three things. A robe, the best robe, a ring, and shoes or sandals for his feet, as the case may be. And these three are quite important because they are all symbolic of something. The first thing he gave him was a robe. What does the robe represent? The robe is a representation of righteousness. Let's turn to the book of Zechariah chapter 3, from verse 3 to verse 5. It says, now Joshua was clothed in filthy garments and stood before the angel. And he answered and spake unto, unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with change of raiment. And I said, Let them set a fair meter on his head. So they set a fair meter upon his head and clothed him with garments, and the angel of the Lord stood by. Amen. The Bible also tells us in the book of Isaiah, chapter 61, verse 10, it says there, it says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he had clothed me with the garments of salvation. He had covered me with the robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels. We can also just put down Isaiah 64, verse 6, and Psalm 132, verse 9. can just put those down. Can't go through everything. But again, we see something very important here in that the filthy clothes were taken off and were given robes of righteousness. And it wasn't the son that carried the robe by himself. He didn't launder it. No. It was the father that put it on him. That's why the Bible tells us that our, fil our righteousness is like filthy rags. Because if we try and put on self-righteousness as a robe, it's, you know, it won't work. Clothed us with righteousness. So now we, we don't have to wear the clothes of our sin. We the clothes of, right clothes of righteousness. We are imbued. We have been covered. We have been clothed with God's righteousness. God's righteousness. And for that reason, we can stand before him blameless and without fault. So the son could now stand before the father in clean clothing and not worry and not have to start bothering himself. Second thing that was given to him was a ring. And this is amazing. This is incredible. Because what does the ring symbolize? The ring is a symbol of authority. 
is a symbol of authority. Um, the Bible tells us in, we can put down Genesis 41 verse 42 and Esther chapter 3 verse 10. These are two examples where we see the use of a ring. So the first one was Joseph, with Joseph when the Pharaoh, the Bible tells us that when he was setting Joseph over the affairs of all the Egyptians, they took off his ring and put it in Joseph's hand. That was authority. At that point, Joseph could then say, you know, he could control people as he wanted. In the same vein, or in a more negative way, in Esther chapter 3, verse 10, we see the story of Xerxes and how he let his ring be used by Haman to order the execution of all the Jews. And once he did it, it was, it was binding. It was law. Why? It was the king's ring. And we see it here. And he said, the father, he put a ring on his finger. We've been imbued with authority. The son now had the authority to tell the farmhands, go and do this, go and do this, go and do this, go and do that. But he had the father's ring. None of them can disobey him. Why? He had the father's ring. We all have authority. And that's what Jesus gave to us. By his sacrifice, when we are reconciled to him, we're imbued with authority. We have the Father's authority. We can go and do and undo in his name. It's kind of how if we go, if we go and meet someone now, there are some people that are under normal circumstances. If you say hello to them like this, Seth, you have to be you have to be bowing your head. You can't look them in the eye and everything like that. But by the time you go there and you say, eh, Chief so so and so sent me. Everybody just moves aside. It's like having a VIP ticket. I think I've used a VIP ticket only once in my life. <laughs> Very fascinating thing. Just, I was walking and there's, there's this place that everyone else was being told to shift away from. And I got there and I did like this. I said, how come you come here? Okay. That's authority. You can then do things that other people are unable to do. As a believer, we have authority. The ring is on our finger. And the third thing, says it gave him, oh dear, close the page. says it gave him shoes for his feet. So he puts shoes on his feet. And this is interesting because what does this, what do these shoes or these sandals represent? Um, let's turn to Ephesians 6 verse 15. Ephesians 6.15 is talking about the armor of God. He says, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Think about it for a second. Like, under normal circumstances, the son came home and, well, under normal circumstances, I mean, usually, I used to feel like this when I came home for midterms when I was in secondary school because you came home with your dirty uniform. Everything was dirty. Everything was grimy and everything. And then you get home and you're like, ah, I can have a bath, put on clean clothes. But I don't think at any point my mom ever came and said, okay, well, here are shoes too. <laughs> but that's what the father did. Under normal circumstances, it doesn't make sense. But in the context of what we are talking about, it makes perfect sense. Because when we come to the father, he, did, he, didn't, just, he didn't just say, okay, well, welcome home. Yes, welcome home. Very happy to see you. Okay, here you go. Here are shoes. Go and preach the gospel. Because that's what we're supposed to do. The lost son is supposed to go and bring other lost sons home. 
because they're not the only lost one. There are others all over who are also lost, who also need to be brought back. And you have shoes for it. And Jesus gave you those shoes. And he said, go out and preach that gospel. That's why evangelism is so important because we're bringing others back. We're bringing others back. We're also to tell them that, look, I too was lost. That's why I witnesses. Me too. I wanted to eat from the pig's food. Me too. They sent me to work with swine. And then I went back and this is what they did for me. This is what they did for me. That's what we are supposed to do. I'm sure people are tired of my secondary school stories. But unfortunately, quite a bit. You know? Secondary school, but in house was usually a time whereby, you know, hunger was very prevalent. And one of the things that would happen from time to time was that a friend of yours could just come and meet you and be like, Femi, they're serving food at assembly hall. Why? Oh, some events, some people just did one event like that. Normally, we are not involved, but apparently, if you go there and you line up, they'll give you food. I'm running. I'm running, I'm running, I'm running, I'm running. So go and get, I have to eat that food now. And they tell me that ah, you have to show cutlery to get in. I'll go and pick one from the sand. Quickly rinse it in water and go. Yes, wherever I find it. <laughs> but the point I'm trying to make there was that blessed is the person that came to meet me and said, in my hunger, because in that time when they come to meet you and tell you about it, it's because you're hungry now. If you're not hungry, then it's no use. That information is of no use to you. But because you're hungry and someone comes and says, okay, I found food though. This is where I got it. Go there. And you go there and go and receive. And that's what we are being called to do to be evangelists, so we must wear the sandals, the shoes, and God has given it to us, the gospel of peace. The Bible tells us that how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. That's what we've been called to do. And as we conclude the story, because we can talk about the other brother and all of that, but that's not, that's not my remit today. It ends in verse 24. It says that they brought a fatted calf, which was always brought in terms of celebration. Celebrate. And it says, for my son was dead, now he's alive. And that's it really. We're dead, but now we're alive. And when just made alive, the Bible tells us that we're raised to heavenly places. We're not here as servants, we're here as heirs, as co-heirs, as sons. That's what Jesus drew us from. And that's what he drew us into. The plan of God is glorious. It's so glorious that we can't even imagine it. And whatever it is that we were thinking it was, it's more than that. When Jesus paid that price, he wasn't anticipating that we're simply just going to be, oh, let's just, let's just pity them. No, so much more. So much more that we received from him. We've all received his signet ring. We've received new robes. We've received new shoes. We've received a mandate. What we are to do. It is my prayer that listening to this, it lights a fire into us towards bringing other lost sons back to the Father and ensuring that we ourselves do not become lost sons. Because that outside is not it. That foreign land, it's not it. It's not it at all. 
And I pray that the Lord will help us in Jesus' name.